Welcome to the first episode of Visitings, a radio show about artists and the social issues that inspire them. My name is Alan Nakagawa, and I'll be your host. Episode one is with artist Dorian Wood. Dorian is originally from and based in Los Angeles. He's a vocalist, composer, performance, and visual artist. His career has been steadily inspiring audiences nationally and internationally. His enigmatic style, both otherworldly and familiar, is both haunting and absolutely romantic. I was lucky to get him to come over the studio for a few minutes to talk about his life. We started with his trajectory and his early experiences with Kill Sonic, the notorious marching band of anarchy. Do you need anything? Do you need like... No, I'm good. No? All right. Well, here we are, Dorian. Here we are. Thank you for coming over. Thank you for having me. Man, you've been just jamming. <laughs> it's so exciting to watch. Thank you. Watch your career just blossom. Thank you. It's uh, yeah, it's nice to uh, nice to be busy. <laughs> well, thank, thank you for being on on visitings. Oh, thank you for uh, for inviting me. This is. Uh, Exciting to uh, be reunited with you in this forum. The launch. Format, yes. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. I first met you, or saw your, I'm sorry, I didn't meet you, but I first saw your work when you were with Kill Sonic. Mm -hmm. I think that's when I first was aware of you, through Joseph Tepperman. Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yes. That was a while ago. That was a while ago. It seems like so long ago, and I, I guess I mean that longer than the actual physical, I guess what can be, what can be deemed physical time, but Killsonic, uh, I mean, I joined Killsonic around 2008, 2009, and it's, you know, at this point that was, you know, roughly like eight years ago. And it just seems like so much longer than that yeah. because so much has happened since then. And I look back on that time and I see photos of a, of a very, you know, crazy, angry child <laughs> that was just running around doing uh, Kill Sonic's bidding in many ways and, and just following instinct and exploring and learning it was such a such a learning experience as i recall um kill sonic comes out of pasadena city college doesn't it right that's where all you guys meet well i met mikey barra and princess frank who were two of the founders of kill sonic i met them through uh, mr t's bowl <coughs> r.i.p and, uh, well, I met Mikey Barra first. Uh, he was playing with uh, our friend Roderick Cummings' band, Cat Hair Ensemble. And I loved what they did. I mean, through Cat Hair, I met Joe Tepperman as well. And, oh. and you know, and Rod Cummings and Andrew Duncan and Clint Heidorn. Uh, it was just 
the the moments that we got to experience each other were so special and I became hooked on these strapping young men <laughs> who were making this uh, wonderful hybrid music of like Django Reinhardt meets you know Roderick Cummings beautiful mind it was it, it, it was really such a an exciting time of for me of like learning new things as I was you know following my own inspiration it was a form of jazz that I'd never heard before but it was to me even more transcendental hmm. I hate using that word but I'm not very eloquent <laughs> Uh, and I, I, it was so exciting to me to, to just see them in, in, in the space that they occupied with their own focus and discipline. And they all just looked so hot. They mm. were just all like these you know, beautiful, attractive men making this very interesting music. And then, and then I heard that they had uh, decided to expand into a marching band. And I know that they did uh, <laughs> um, than I anticipated. But Mikey Barrow was in the audience that night, and he approached me afterwards, and he said, I want you to be a part of Kill Sonic. And I, and I told him, like, I, you know, okay, but I don't, you know, what do you want me to play, the vibraphone? Like, you know, I don't, I, I don't know how to play any of these instruments. And he's like, well, you play piano. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, learn accordion. I'm like, oh, I've never played accordion. And he's like, well, learn it. So I did. And, and I just, <laughs> I bought an accordion, uh, that, uh, that Rod Cumming had found on Craigslist. It was a, it was a, it was a black and red accordion. It was black with red bellows and the brand name was Dorian. That, that, that became an ex like that, that creature became an extension of, of me mm. and a physical extension. It, you know, I, I see photos of, of, of myself from, from that time playing that accordion and there were moments that I feel like I'm trying to dress up like my accordion I'm trying to be that thing that I play and and have it be part of my silhouette and have it be part of my aesthetic and just and an extension of my voice and uh, I don't think even with piano I'd ever wanted something so intimate with an instrument and I think it was just because it was it was intoxicating to be around all those people like everyone in kill sonic was exhilarating i had i was like madly in love with all of them just welcoming uh, the most interesting people i had ever met every single one mm. every single one and they you know they we would have rehearsals every tuesday night at uh at mike's place in east l.a and I would, that would be like the one thing I'd look forward to every single week. Mm. And I remember during that time, I became so obsessed with Kill Sonic that I began neglecting all my other friends that, I had, that I'd had for years. And this was like my new thing. I'm like, I just want Kill Sonic. I want every single second of my life to be Kill Sonic. If we're not rehearsing, I want to be in their lives. I want to just be around them. Um... It was love. It was absolute love. Um, as a as a um, audience member, um, what I, I think what I enjoyed about Kill Sonic was uh, it was a, a group that a musical group mm -hmm. that pushed the consciousness of live music. Yeah, yeah. They 
they just slapped it in your face that this is live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what it means to be live. Yes. Yeah. Then and that I I feel is one of the strongest things I took away from being in Kilsonic the the vitality, the importance of a live moment, a moment that breathes in that space and in that time and that can never be properly documented because if you're not there, you will never get to smell what that experience was like. In my mind, that transition point between the tra- trajectory that you're on right now mm-hmm. and Kill Sonic, uh, for me, was that performance piece that you did at Human Resources on the second floor. Oh, yeah. That was a color from Godlung. Uh, that was the, the opera inside the elephant. It was this. Uh, it was a mythology that I had dreamt up. That it had come to me in a dream, where I looked out my apartment window and the sky was filled with elephants. They were all like slowly crawling, as if there were there was floor for them to crawl on in the sky, and they're just slowly crawling and. It was so beautiful, and I didn't know what that could possibly mean, but I knew what it could mean for the world, which is confusion and chaos, and that the presence of these elephants could, you know, could lead to the end of the world because people wouldn't be able to comprehend it or explain it. Hmm. And I elaborated on that dream with... uh, what if these creatures are incredibly uh, benevolent and as soon as they touch the ground because they're so these mighty mighty elephants are like larger than actual elephants on earth that upon touching the ground the ecosystem is is forever altered so they can't be sustained and they just collapse and die Mm. meanwhile everyone's killed themselves already Mm. it's and it's just like auto self-destruction and once the ecosystem has been altered, nothing can live. No, no life can be sustained. So, out of desperation, the survivors move into the carcasses of these elephants, thousands of them all across the earth. And they form civilizations inside the carcasses of these elephants, the only places where there's still actual life, where life can still be sustained. And... I did a series of operas uh, for a period of two years uh, in all types of spaces where the participants in the opera uh, endured several positions and, and tried to tell a narrative without the context of time because you assume that after existence has ceased to be there is no concept of time like time has died along with it Mm. so it could be years it could be minutes that pass in a moment and these performances lasted between two and three hours each and they were very um focused on uh the primal beginnings of a society and what that would be like in a very limited space where all you had was each other but everyone of different backgrounds and different states of mind if you could you know if you just could not communicate with a language that was given to you because so much time has passed that you don't practice that language anymore you don't practice who you are 
you're someone else completely. You become something that is not even animalistic, but it's something resembling a human that, you know, it excites me to think, you know, I could connect with them in some sort of way. Uh, I love connecting with people. I, I, I love making new friends. And I think as an audience member, I put myself in their position where what, what, what excites me, like what gets me out of the house to go see a performance of any kind of music or performative. And it has to be something that is going to stick with me, that is going to get, just get under my skin, become a part of my skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has to be something that special and that uh, <laughs> that uh, disturbing, I guess. Um, Speaking of your most recent uh, performance at Grand Performances, oh, Grand yeah. Performance, Grand Performances, Grand Performances, yeah. yeah. That was uh, that was very special. How did that come about? So I had been offered this uh, opportunity by Leanne Hahn, who's extraordinary human being incredibly sweet and and very very generous with herself uh and her time and her efforts uh had she had seen me perform i believe uh at the more york gallery in highland park a couple of times and she wanted to for years we'd been talking about doing something at grand performances or how she'd want to like eventually invite me to do something and that she was still working on something working on an idea a way to make it happen and then finally last year she approached me uh to ask if i had a project that a special project that i would want to do in a in a setting like that that i perhaps hadn't had the opportunity to present in any other setting and I immediately thought of something I'd been working on with uh, my collaborator and uh, arranger, uh, Danny Graziani, uh, which is the uh, the music of uh, Sorcerer, or Janine Decker's, uh, was her name in, in, re- in real life. And, and she was a, you know, a Belgian singer-songwriter. And I just loved her music after my my husband, uh, Joe Ricciardi, had introduced me to it. I'd only known her song Dominique, which was a very popular song. It is actually still one of the most popular songs of all time. You, you still hear it in commercials. You still hear it in commercials. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a huge hit. It might actually be the, the most popular French song in the entire world. <laughs> Everybody knows it. And it was, you know, it was composed and performed by an actual nun, and we knew her as a singing nun in the United States. But she was known as Sister Smile, Sourire in 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 Europe. And she, her life was oh, was was so tragic and 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 devastating. And yet, in the time that she was on this earth, she created these beautiful, heartwarming you know, just exquisitely written songs that you don't have to be Catholic or even spiritual to really appreciate, I feel. Mm. Um, I'm I'm Catholic, and I was brought up Catholic, and uh, I hear, like, the lyrics of some of these songs about just walking around nature and just being grateful to God and seeking God and 
finding God and just they, they she sang them these lyrics with with such heart and and goodwill and yet these melodies were you know were like like some of the like the most interesting and intelligent melodies I'd ever heard in, in folk music. So it was a marriage of these two and also just her, her very sad story. Like, you know, in a nutshell, she, you know, became very depressed after, you know, not having achieved the success that she wanted outside of the persona of Sister Smile. And, you know, in the end, after the Belgian government accused her of owing back taxes on the royalties for Dominique, uh, even though she never took a cent from it, it all went to the convent. Um, she became really depressed and overwhelmed, and her and her um, her uh, female companion uh, killed themselves, and it was really just it's it's gut wrenching that the composer of one of the most popular songs of all time would you know would get to that point you know living you know just living like a very very like poor life and not in a place that nurtured her as a human being properly. Mm. <clears throat> so I wanted to bring her story to life and hopefully in, in some sort of way overshadow the heavily uh, sugar-coated fantasy that they had made of her life. They made a movie called The Singing Nun with Debbie Reynolds and uh, and you know, and that it might be like you know the most popular uh, physical telling of her life that is inaccurate. Her life was really, really sad. And more than that, I just wanted people to know her music because it's out of print. Like it's all out of print. Oh. Um, so I I didn't want to do an impersonation of her. I didn't want to come out dressed as a nun. Um, so I, and I don't speak French, so I wanted to really pay tribute and respect to this great artist Janine Deckers in a way that I felt I could do from you know a very personal place. Most of your work is available through your website, right? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely post that, of course. Excellent, thank yeah, you. Yeah. Um, you're married. I am. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. How's it feel? Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's fantastic. I am with the person that I want to be, and I am grateful to life more than I could verbalize because... Uh, I am with the person I want to be for the rest of my life. And now it's legal. Now we're like legally bound to each other. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we've been together, uh, you know, as, as of this transmission, we've been together for over eight years. Immerse ourselves into that. And I'm so grateful that we did. The wedding was incredible. Our, um, our families were there. Our mothers got to meet for the first time, which was enormous. What was that like? Oh, God. 
um so all that all that crap that i said about like you know kill sonic being the most exhilarating blah 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 nothing compared to our mother's meeting for the first time <laughs> <laughs> it was it, it was like like everything like nature time and space all stopped and i to see these two women like greet each other for the first time with a hug and a kiss on the cheek can and you, it was wait, before we go there can you please paint the picture so because it's radio yes absolutely and, yeah. and i've seen pictures and you guys everyone looks so magnificent oh thank and you so let's could you please paint that picture for us sure so the day before the wedding uh we had uh a tiny backyard gathering at our house and we wanted this, you know, we, we had been planning this aspect of our wedding for for a very long time, uh, where we would have our immediate families who had flown in from out of town for the wedding uh, just be at this family gathering. And we knew that that would most likely be the, the, the day that our mothers would meet. Our mothers, by the way, are like the most important people in our lives, so... Um, so it was, of course, the, the, the night, the night of the, uh, of the barbecue, we, um, we're running around, we uh, just doing all sorts of like other wedding things. And meanwhile, tending to family and, and, you know, we're running around the house and families arriving and we had to go to the uh, wedding venue, which was a few blocks away the women's 20th century club in Eagle Rock. Uh, we had to go there and uh, and do some last minute setting up for for the big day the following day. Uh, so we had this very small window in between our families arriving and when we actually had to leave. The idea was that we were going to have our families just be there in the backyard while we went and did this other stuff for a couple of hours and then come back and just leave them to... <laughs> to get to know each other and barbecue and just oh. you know partake and um but of course people started arriving late and we're running around and uh my family arrived first and they're in the backyard and we have lots of greenery in the backyard and they're sitting at this uh, picnic table that we have there and then uh joe joe's mother uh and his family all arrive and they're coming down the porch stairs in the backyard and joe's like somewhere inside i don't know what he's doing but he's doing something in, inside the house so i'm like outside like watching as like the two families start like coming together for the first time and then i see you know his, his mother you know goes up to my mother and my mother gets up and you know his mother says uh, it's it's so so lovely to finally meet you and my mother very much echoed that and they gave each other a kiss on the cheek and they hugged each other and i'm just st like and meanwhile as everyone else is meeting like each other i'm just fixated on these two women and uh so <laughs> they separate and i'm like no 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 you, you please do this again so i can take a photo of it i just the plan the idea was that we were going to document this moment somehow and joe joe's like meanwhile he's like inside like running around doing things and like this is like so not the way we you know we had envisioned this moment that we were going to be present and then we we're going to be like filming and everything so 
uh, so I'm just standing there, like, you know, like, just completely, like, in awe. And as I asked, like, can you please pose for a photo? <laughs> like, I just, I need to document this because I will kick myself if I don't. And it is, like, one of the greatest photos of all time. It's, like, them, like, hugging and, like, smiling and looking at the camera. And, you know, I, I want to cry every time I think of that photo. And... I remember at one point later in the day when we were heading back from the space to the house mm-hmm. and we're all stressed and, you know, it's just been a very stressful, stressful day, stressful, you know, week, stressful past couple of weeks prepping up for the wedding and, and Josie's really stressed and I, I show him a picture. I'm like, just remember, it's all about this. And I show him the picture and it just, So it is all about the women that gave us life. I'll be embarking on roughly a month-long tour through Europe, uh, performing uh, songs from the new album that we put out this year called Hala. And the album is my first uh, Spanish-language album that we recorded in Spain last year. Oh. Um, and it's it, it is really like very very different from anything I've ever done uh, stylistically and obviously like the language aspect of it but it's uh, it was recorded in the format of a trio so I it's me on vocal and piano Xavi Munoz on contrabass and vocal and Marcos Junquera on percussion and we recorded it live in an auditorium, so there's no overdubs. It's it's essentially a live recording, but the engineer uh, and uh, is was absolutely like Enrique Aramartin is his name. He found a way of recording us all live in the same space. Like you, I mean, you you've done recording yourself, so you know how seemingly impossible it it would be to record vocal and piano in the same space as drums. Mm -hmm. And he found a way to isolate everything without setting up barriers or anything where we were looking at each other as if we were performing. And he managed to isolate everything. I have no idea how he did this. But it it was like witchcraft. I don't know. (laughs) But the, the sound of this album is... Is extraordinary. It, it 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 everything is sounds so bold and and raw, but it's it, it just it, it's it's my favorite thing that I've done so far, like wow. record wise. I have to say, um, because it, it it does capture like what I love so much about performing the uh, to be able to you know create that that breathing moment that could you know last in people's minds and. You can you can hear you can smell this recording. Let's hear a little bit of the title song off Dorian Wood's new album Hala.
Dorian, thank you so much. Thank you. Sorry, I, I love your cookies. There's more. <laughs> Don't tell me that. <laughs> thank you so much for having me, um, Alan. It's always such a pleasure to speak with you. Likewise, Dorian. I'm, I'm so happy that mm. we could have you over. Totemo Tanoshi. And that concludes episode one of Visitings. I'd like to thank Dorian Wood for his time and sharing his insights and passions. Much love to Echo Park Film Center for inviting me to produce this show and to Machine Projects and Dub Lab for this new radio station, 99.1 FM from Los Angeles. I'm Alan Nakagawa, sitting in the living room in Koreatown, saying thank you for listening to Visitings. You can find more information on Dorian Wood at DorianWood.com. D-O-R-I-A-N-W-O-O-D.com.